Welcome to the Finding Backcountry Podcast with your host, Dustin Whitwer. I am Dustin Whitwer, and this is the Finding Backcountry Podcast. Follow along on my journey of learning from the best backcountry hunters each week as we explore valuable information I use to find success in the backcountry. Let's get to the show. And we're live. This is episode number 41 of the Finding Backcountry Podcast, coming at you from the comforts of my little rundown trailer that we rent to save a bunch of money. I've got the one person that I can always count on for a podcast episode. And that's my brother, Jason Whitwer. <laughs> I told him I had a couple podcasts scheduled that are coming up with some pretty epic people and unfortunately they couldn't make it so he's here (laughs) (laughs) thanks no but you find in this world some sometimes what i've noticed with podcasting is you'll get ideas of uh, an idea of a guy um or two that you or a girl that you want to get on the podcast and you get used to you know, most of the time you reach out to them and unless it's, you know, someone crazy popular, you reach out to them, invite them on and they say, yeah, that's great. And you say, okay, how about a day from now? And they say, yeah, that's perfect. And you schedule it and it's done. And every so often it just doesn't work that way. So, um, but I, I think it's good. I think, uh, you know, I, th- I think it's a good mix. It seems like people, um, listeners, you guys enjoy b- both aspects. You enjoy um, having a guest on and telling stories. You enjoy uh, technical gear breakdowns. Um, I've, I got a, a lot of feedback, actually, the last time I had uh, you on, Jason, when we just kind of told hunting stories or told about growing up hunting. And so, you know, it is what it is. If people, uh, I've asked people a few times who they want on the podcast or what guests they want. And, um, so, you know, by all means hit us up with either, either guests or topics. And I, I have had quite a few people, uh, message in and I'm working on getting on some of those on the episodes, but yeah. Anyway, what's up with you, man? We live in the same town. We don't see each other too often. It's kind of funny, but what's new in your life? Nothing much. I'm either at work, which I work as a firefighter, so I work two days on, four days off. So for two of those days, I'm at work. And then, yeah, just, I don't know, busy with stuff Yeah, you're, in the summer. You're a little different than me. I think if I had that job, um, I would still go out and, like, adventure and do something. But you're, like, you have to be like you get yeah. so stir crazy if you're not out and you know i i can tinker like on my days off i can just like i can wake up go to the gym you know go on a run come back eat some food tinker with some hunting stuff do a podcast episode you know go hang out with my wife do go to a movie or whatever just kind of have a, a little tinkering day like that and i think you hate that don't you yeah yeah i, <laughs> I uh 
I think I sleep in my own bed at home like one or two nights a week. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's not even exaggeration because three of those days every week I'm at work. I always sleep at home the night before work and then maybe one other day during the week. Other than that, I'm out scouting or out at the ranch or working with llamas, working with llamas or um, like me and my wife went to Penguich, went on a little overnight camping, fishing, vacation trip. So just always busy. It's, it's kind of funny because it's kind of your personality shows when you hunt too. Um, You know, I'm, I think I'm more apt to just be a little bit more laid back and a little bit more patient on a hunt. Um, A little bit less likely to just be aggressive and just go after it. And you typically err on the side of, aggressiveness and just i'm just gonna go hike somewhere and look i'm gonna i'm just gonna go i'm just gonna get up and go and both i you know i've seen both sides pay off um i would say one one time that i learned you know that that just going sometimes is can be valuable was just last year you know when Corey and i killed that buck in nevada and the old me would have, I think, sat there for quite a bit longer than I did. And I've learned watching you and watching other guys, watching, you know, hearing stories, listening to other podcasts that, man, you, you got to, the key to the, the key to the backcountry hunting game, at least stock and mule there is like, when you see it line up, you, you just, go, you got to go, you know, every second, the second that it lines up, meaning that bucks, it's the buck you want. He's in a stockable spot. He's bet and he beds down and you know, like every second after that, the chances are going up that you're not going to kill him. Yeah. And like, uh, that big typical buck I killed last year, I was alone and he bedded down in a prime spot and I knew it was like early morning and I knew he's going to get up and move. But I thought I could get over there in time. So I was literally jogging. Like <laughs> I had to go up and over two ridges to get over there. And I was kicking deer out. Like I kicked a couple other bucks out on the way over. One dimensional focus though. Yeah, but yep. just don't even care. Like I'm getting there. I closed to a hundred yards. I probably went, it was like 700 yards. And I closed within a hundred yards of that buck in a matter of like 10 minutes. Yeah. And I was there, took my shoes off. And then it slowed way down. And then, yeah. And, and when you say that you're, you're, you're going as fast as you can once it lines up, uh, up to the point of, you know, dropping it in extra low four by four low yeah. and slowing completely down. And yeah. that's, you know, it, it can be a hundred yards. It can be 250 yards. It's different every time, well, but like I covered that seven, 800 yards in probably 10 minutes. And then the next 50 yards that I went before I killed him probably took me two hours. Yep. So, yep. And then, and then it's patience. I got within range and I found the buck. He was like 10 yards from me and I could have gotten impatient and tried to fling an arrow through these bushes and hopefully get him. Um, but I mean, I sat there on top of the ridge while he was 10 yards below me <laughs> feeding for probably five, 10 minutes. Just it helps when he's a one ninety something with floating main beams 
typical. No, Do you, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't help. <laughs> if it was a little forky, I would have been super patient. Yeah. <laughs> should, a, yeah. I was just staring at his antlers from 10 yards. I'm like, oh my gosh, this thing is. Yeah. So, I, I always watch those, you know, those white tail hunting shells, archery or whatever. And I always think like, man, like so easy. Like, you, they don't, you know, it's like he's walking right by you, but like, I, I've never hunted whitetail, never been in a tree stand. I can guarantee you that the it would take me, it would probably take me half a dozen deer coming in to shoot at till I got my nerves. Cause like the, the very few times that you can see something coming for a long ways away, like maybe elk hunting ish. Yeah. And, and like, I do so much better when you just pop up over the ridge and you got like no time to think about it. And he's there and you just, you yeah. just execute, you know, but Can't, don't think about <laughs> it. Sitting there watching them in their bed for two hours, waiting for them to get up is the worst. Yeah. Or like, that's why I, I can't sit in a blind or yeah a tree stand. Like, like you were saying, just, yeah. So back up from hunting for a second. What, uh, what else is new in your life? Or what's about to be new in your life? Uh, a baby is about to be new. <laughs> and we timed it just right. Yeah. <laughs> baby girl due um, September 8th. <laughs> oh, man. Let's just all take a moment of silence and think about what Jason just did right there. Baby due, first kid, <clears throat> baby due September, what did you say, 8th? Yep. Let's just all just moment of silence. Okay. <laughs> Everyone just prayed for you okay. to get a little smarter next time. And now everyone learn. Everyone from, learn from Jason. From my mistake. very grateful mistake. Uh, rest but. in rest in peace, Jason's two, 2018 hunting season. Rest hey, in peace. Still, there's still August and October, and yeah. my brother-in-law is a tag in November, so yeah, I'll be good. What tag uh, here in Nevada? No, he's got an Arizona. Oh, that's right. Late rifle tag. Yeah. You know, and the only, really the thing that it throws a kink in is archery hunting elk in the, you know, in September in the rut. Yeah. It's just your tag that and, you, that you've been wanting to draw. For yeah. Me. Yeah. I won't be there, but. Well, yeah. And I know that it's a, it's a bigger deal to, to me than it is to you, meaning hunting elk in September during the rut. Um, you know, I try, I try, um, did we hunt elk in September during the rut last year? I don't think we did. Yeah, I don't think. Oh my goodness. Anyway, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of, uh, Corey and I, that's what we live for. So y you'll be all right. Um, you're, you're trying to pick up a Nevada, uh, trying to pick up a Nevada archery tag and, and that's early August. And so that'll be out of your way. And then. You know, what, what else do we, we don't have a ton. We've got a Utah dedicated hunter tag. So, if, and that's nice. If we do the service hour, yeah. <laughs> we got to wrap up some service hours here it? in the July 14th. And I'm still, well, I got nothing. I, you, so this is your second <clears throat> year in that program. Yeah. So I think I only owe like eight or 10 or what is it? Yeah. The first, so the technically the first year, you don't have to give them any hours, which I think is kind of funny. By the second year, you have to do only 10 of the 32 that's due. Mm -hmm. um, and then if that's all, if you did the minimum of 10, you would get your second year tag. And then by year three, you would have to give them the 22. leftover 22. Um, yeah. So I'm, that's the position that I'm in um, is I'm backed way up. And so I'm <laughs> at like, I'm just now at 16 hours. 
of the 32. <laughs> you and didn't I'm not even, good at math, but that's... You didn't even do the hours last year, so you didn't even get a tag. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> technically that's true. You got um, a tag the first year, didn't do the hours the second year. People are going to be mad or something. I don't know what people are going to be. No, it's, uh, I mean, that was the rules. And but, I, didn't, I didn't get a tag, and so I assumed, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm going to get like screwed for that. I don't know. I haven't I, talked to anyone and verbalized it, but I, it was just everything lined up last year where we had other hunts. And I was like, I, I don't have any time for the Utah tag. And in the dedicated hunter program in Utah, you have to sit out a year anyway, two, two of the, one of the three years that you're in the program, you can't even kill a deer. And so it's basically like sitting out. And so we had enough tags last year, enough hunts that I was like, well, I'm not going to, I wouldn't have time to hunt it anyway. And so this is a good year to just, and so, yeah, maybe someone out there knows, um, let me know if I'm in big trouble there. If I'm, if they're going to not give me my third year tag is e- even if I do all the service hours, um, or pay for them. Um, I'm hoping that if I just, uh, square up on those 32 hours by the, like I said, I have 16, I should have 16 right now. Um, I think, I think you'll be good. I think you'd be all right. Right. I think as long as you get the remaining. Yeah. As long as like, for some reason that didn't just disqualify me, like, like X me out of the program, you know, or drop me. But I, I don't think so as you know, as long as you get the hours in, but anyway, yeah. So bittersweet, Jason's got a kid coming. I'm going to be an uncle times three. Well, on, wow. yeah, on, on uh, the Whitworth side, on my wife's side, we've got, you know, like four uh, nieces and nephews now. So, I'm getting pretty experienced at this kind of stuff. And I'll tell you, being an uncle, um, it's a, it's kind of like, it's like the best thing ever. Um, because you only experience all the awesomeness. And then you, when, uh, diaper thing comes, you hand them back to their mom, uh, throwing fits. You either a hand them back to their mom or, uh, you just give them what they want and you know, parents, <laughs> they, they just love you. They just love you because of it. Um, parents, you can't do that all the time. I know because you know, you're trying to do this like long term, like teach them principles and stuff. But as an uncle, you only see him. I'm not super long term invested in that, you know? And I'm like, yeah, what do you want, man? Like you want candy? Let's go get some cake or whatever. I just shared a piece of cake with Hayden the other day, my little, cause she just wanted it. Like, <laughs> so it's awesome. Um, yeah, you know, and pretty soon they, they'll grow up and I'll be getting them hunting gear and like, yeah, oh, your dad said you couldn't have that. Let's go down to the store and we'll take a look. <laughs> so what other hunts do you have besides, so you got, de- hopefully Nevada archery, dedicated hunter, Utah, just going to bum with your brother-in-law later in the year. Yeah, that's the plan. I don't have any we, other tags. I'm bound to determine this coming winter to do that the art the arizona archery over the counter yeah, i'll 100 percent. i'll be heading to arizona in december we looked at a unit we actually for one time in my life i've done what i um and and, and this is this is a good talking point um you always hear guys suggest that you know oh before you you know if it's an over-the-counter tag or something like that well they usually hear it with like um limited entry hunts, you know, guys will suggest, Hey, maybe before you just put in and apply for, you know, this limited entry elk hunt in Utah that you, 15 for, points. took you 15 points in a unit, you know, that you, whatever unit it is that you've never stepped foot in, yeah. maybe you should go the seasons before a couple seasons before and scout it out just as if you had the tag. Well, that's tough because 
it's like it's hard who, to scout a unit you're not yeah, hunting. it's like hard to get invested in scouting right um one one thing that i i guess i like about utah i i don't know that spike elk tag is so i'm so f- on the fence with that um you know it's nice if you're the guy that doesn't have the limited entry tag that year but if you're the one with the limited entry tag and there's all these spike elk hunters running around during your hunt and before your hunt and just stirring things up it's just it can yeah. it can be super demoralizing but um anyway that that's a good I think that's one of the best ways to scout a unit that you plan on drawing a tag for that you're not familiar with is in Utah, at least is go pick up that, you know, spike elk tag and maybe other States have, you know, a spike or an over the counter, um, you know, Idaho, Idaho deer, for example, they have like on the, on their deer, they have controlled hunts that are later in the year, but then they have over the counter for the same unit that's you know worst dates it's like october when no one wants to be rifle hunting mule deer if they can help it yeah um and so it's like you know you could go pick that tag up and go you know maybe you don't even see deer or see a deer to shoot but you're you're learning the country and that in my opinion is almost more valuable um than anything is just knowing the country a year in advance and know like taking the guesswork out of where you want to go the next year so yeah. anyway back to the arizona archery for once we actually and we did it mistakenly because we thought we were going to hunt it and we didn't end up hunting it um but we actually went down last year and kind of scouted a unit um and like got some trail camera pictures and some de- you know some decent bucks and found some water holes and um Honestly, I was not planning on picking up that archery tag because Arizona um, was just on the fence with their uh, trail cam deal. Mm -hmm. And unlike Nevada, Arizona voted basically to just no changes. So they, they had it on the docket, all these, you know, all these different suggestions, but I think they were most serious about um, doing kind of like, Nevada does. And then they had, um, they also had a distance regulation, like 440 yards that you weren't going to be able to put it from water and certain times of the year, probably they voted against all of it, basically meaning no changes. (laughs) So you're right back in Arizona. You're back to just the strips going to have, you know, 20 trail cams on every tree and outfitters are going to be running 150 cameras. And, you know, I, I think that's the biggest reason that they were talking about it was the strip and the Kaibab. Um, and so the rest of the state probably was like, listen, it's not that big of a problem to us. Um, anyway, long route to get to the point that I was trying to make. And that is because there's no changes, the unit that we were looking at, would you agree that like, if you couldn't run trail cameras in there at, on water, like, well, tough man, <laughs> like, and, and it's funny cause I'm the guy that would vote right now. Probably if I had to vote yes or no trail cameras, I would probably vote to ban them just all together. If, if you forced me, I would vote to ban them, but because they're, not banned and they're legal in Arizona. I'm like, okay, game on. Like, let's, let's take advantage of the, you know, where are you at on that? I don't know. I, I like what Nevada did as far as it. Yeah. So explain that Nevada, they just passed. Um, the rule is no trail cameras anywhere for any reason other than like cattle or farm. Yeah. yeah, Certain, certain reasons. Um, no trail cameras between August 1st 
through the end of the year. So which basically run, covers every hunt. Yeah. So you can kind of you can run your cameras all all summer and you know kind of find out where the bucks or elk are or whatever. Um, but I like that once the hunts start, you know, you got you don't have fifty. I've seen close to fifty cameras on one water, so you don't have a bunch of guys, you know, going in there, driving in to check their trail cameras during the hunt just putting more pressure just did you see how they um what they recommended like how do you think they're going to enforce that it's yeah so i was telling my wife i'm like i think i'm going to take it upon myself to be the trail camera police (laughs) oh geez and i'll go just cut them down and (laughs) sell them but she's like no you can't do that yeah probably a good idea i'll listen to my wife um but i saw they what they're suggesting is that if you see one after August 1st, don't touch it because it's still technically private property. But I, w- I thought it wasn't. I thought that the, the technical rule, maybe not trail camera specific, but just in general in like out on public land is if you abandon something and leave it. And I don't, maybe someone knows the time frame better than, because I don't know oh, if yeah. there's like a 24 hour or something. But basically I thought that it was if you left it, um, we'll have to look at that and follow up next week. Um, if you left, leave something, I'm pretty sure it you're forfeiting that it's your private property anymore. So anyway, yeah. it, it doesn't change the the ethics and the morals of like, yeah, you still I, I still have never stolen or taken someone's camera. And I wouldn't I wouldn't start even though even if there's a ban in place, yeah. um, it, I think they're they're basically helping people might call in and report it and say, Hey, right. It's August 12th. And I just saw five cameras on this guzzler or whatever. So maybe if we act quick, we can look up that number, but, um, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, basically what they're saying or what they're inadvertently admitting to is they can't regulate it. And everyone knows that. And it's all, it's just going to be a matter of time before everyone in Nevada comes across a trail camera that's still up on, you know, September 15th in the middle of your hunt. And, you know, it's interesting. Like what, what, what do you do? Are, are you, uh, you know, are you that guy quote unquote, are you that guy that's like calling in and like, like tattletale, are you tattletale at that point? Or like, are you, you know, or is, is everyone kind of going to be on board with like, no, this is the law. And like, we don't want, you know, it's not fair that someone else is running a camera and getting <clears throat> Intel when we're not and yeah. like call it in, you know, what is it? My, and my point is no one has a problem with like poaching, for example, tattle it up. Everyone's like, yeah, get them. Like, and I, yeah. I agree. Like I would, you know, turn them in, tattle them up. And I, I wonder on this, if it's going to be the same, I bet it will well, because people hate seeing other people's stroke. I, like you said, I'm not going to touch them. I probably won't even call it in just cause I don't freaking care. <laughs> like if someone wants to leave their camera up, whatever, yeah. it's their problem. Um, but I guarantee you there will be people that are going to go through and, um, so, so it, I, I, if it's in your best interest to take it down, cause there's probably a good chance if you leave it up a week later, some guy who doesn't feel the same way as we do yep. is going to come through and, and he's going to smash dis- it destroy or it. steal it. Yep, absolutely. So, I don't know. Here's So, I learned this way back um, when, and 
here is my solution to the problem. You know, they say that as adults, we're supposed to like offer solutions to problems if we have, if we have a, a beef with it or whatever. So I've been trying to do that more yeah, lately. I don't Here, really here's do my, that. It, it's not a solution. I'm not going to say it's a solution because you know, there's just so many variables here, but here's one suggestion that I would have to the state of Nevada and everyone else that runs truck cameras. Why can't we just have them register them? Like, it, no different or similar to a bait stand in Idaho, where if you go on an over-the-counter hunt and you want to set bait stations, you get X number. I can't remember. It's, you know, a couple per hunter or something in that case. And you just send in, and, and it's not a problem to get them. You just have to send in your name, and they send you a, t- a little metal tag or whatever that's tied to your name that has a number on it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even saying that you would regulate the number of trail cameras. I'm just saying that I think that it would help. I think that if that was the law too, it, it might help people. You know, you're less apt to leave one out if it's got your tag on it. And if it doesn't have your tag, then that's even more reason for, for you to get in, you know, for oh, yeah. someone to take it down. I, I don't know, because like, you know, as soon as I say it, it's like, well, someone could still just run a camera and not get, register it and have it out there. And just like you could do that with a, you know, a bait up in Idaho on a bear hunt or whatever. There's probably guys that run, you know, dozens of baits and none of them are registered. I don't know. But to me, that just seems like, you know, and I, I can already hear, I can already hear this, the, the people who hate government regulation going, we don't, I'm not registering anything. These are the same people like I'm not registering my guns or anything, you know, and that's all cool. Like I I get that. Like, you don't, you know, they don't, the government doesn't need to be sticking their hand in every single thing we do. But at the same time, like, can't we all agree that it's been ruined? Like Mm -hmm. there's too much of a good thing going on here. And like trail cameras are just something, something needs to change. I'm curious to see how these changes in Nevada go and if it you know i don't know do you think it's gonna drop or lower or decrease the amount of like big monster bucks that like outfitters and guides especially down here in these drier units are gonna kill i don't it it's not gonna help it's not gonna help and there are don't i mean you would think oh by august 1st they kind of have them patterned trust me there's guys like there's guys and they're checking them daily on the hunt. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, yeah. When I when I would hunt out there, we'd we'd check them every day during the hunt, especially Just, during the hot archery. Because if a uh, if a buck was coming in consistently, like oh this buck he hit daylight, you know, during the hunt, like maybe hit tomorrow. So you go sit that water or whatever, or hunt that area the next day. And here's the last thing I'll say on that. <laughs> is just be cognizant of that because like the irony here is the reason that you're putting a trail camera on water is what to see what's there. Right. But why are you, why are you specifically putting it on a water hole? Cause they have to come, they have there. to come there. Right now. Think about that. You think the game and fish officers don't know where every 
generally every water hole those 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 guys that the game oh, boards yeah. out there they know where every water hole is it's their it's their well, playground out there and so definitely if, the guzzlers just be careful if you're going to be the guy this year in nevada for example that's going to run your cameras after august 1st just think about that because you're being very predictable yeah. by having to put it on water and, yeah. and at that point you become the big bug yeah. that the game and fish officers <laughs> are hunting and they're going to get you, you know, man i don't i don't think they'll hit every guzzler but I wouldn't be surprised if they're going to they hit a lot of the, yep. especially the easy to get to ones. And here's why, because this has been every time I listen to this topic from other podcasts and other, you know, uh, I read articles about it or whatever. The, the first thing and the biggest thing that everyone likes to throw back in their face is how are you going to regulate it? How are you guys going to regulate it? That's their, that's their problem with any sort of regulation or any mm-hmm. rules like this in, in just about any, any place in the world. But, but specifically with hunters, you know, it's, there's so much, how are you going to regulate it? And so I promise you this year in Nevada, specifically they're going to be hitting it hard yeah, especially to prove this first year yep, yeah to, and in the hot spots these units down here in the southeast corner that really just run heavy trail cameras they are going to be i'll bet you that they are out for you know they're out to write some tickets so. yep interesting man um i want to talk archery setups archery's kind of the the first big hunts coming up you know I get more into it than you do. Um, you're, you're definitely not, you're not what I would consider the, just the average Joe Schmo guy that just goes and screws on whatever field tip and whatever weight broadhead and whatever fletchings. And, you know, you don't, you're not buying boxed pre-fletched arrows. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but my point is you're, you're, you're the guy that's taking it a little bit further. You know, you, you have a little more detail to your setup and I, I take it a step further than you. Um, I would say, yeah, definitely. you know, I'm, I'm more into the grains and the feet per second and the momentum and all the, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but just, just generally like what, talk about your, um, archery setup right now. Well, just adding on to that, I, you know, I, I think I used to be more into it, uh, especially working at Shields, just being around archery all the time. But, you know, the last three, four years, I just I've had the same setup and it works. And so I don't I don't like actively go out and look for something new. <laughs> like I've been shooting Rage Broadheads for four years now. They've worked. Haven't so let you down. I don't like go around like, oh, I need to find new broadheads yeah. this year, like <laughs> like you. <laughs> yeah. Um, my arrows have been good, so I don't go looking around for new arrows like you have. <laughs> You've switched arrows like four times. I I'll tell uh, you what though, the reason I do that is because I'm I'm I haven't been dead set on an arrow, and I for whatever reason it is, and I'm telling you so far right now. That five millimeter Easton Axis pro pro grade or match grade or whatever they call it that's got the straighter tolerances um, for numerous reasons. I pretty much got my heart set on them. Yeah, they um, seem pretty solid. Yep. I and, uh, and I, I shoot the injection and well, I've I love them. Yeah, but yeah, my problem with the injection personally is I don't I'm not a hit insert fan. Yeah, that's that's my biggest complaint. Um, and and which they have the new outserts. I was just gonna say I'm not an outsert fan either. Yet I, 
and I don't know why I should. And, and frankly, I shouldn't even be saying that because we haven't even tested them or tried them. Yeah. But, um, one, honestly, more, one more thing to try. <laughs> honestly, the biggest reason I'm staying with injection is because I've got about 30 arrows. <laughs> I've got a dozen, <laughs> a dozen brand new ones that I've had for like three years that I just haven't. Because I, I've been going through like three arrows a year. So yeah. I still have the same. I've got at my house, I've got like 15 unfletched ones that are just sitting there. Yeah. Like, plus the dozen that I haven't even cut yet. So I just, to me, See, it's just, unless I go and sell them, which, you know, it's just stupid for me to go change something that's been working pretty good. Yep. Haven't had any complaints really to go find something that might be a little bit better. You no, know? that, that injection would be, I'll be honest. I would probably be running it with that outsert instead of the deep six hit insert. Um, mostly just to try it, but yeah, that that's, that's a sweet arrow, man. Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, blazers, blazer veins on the back, just as yep. kind of a standard blazer vein guy. Do you, are you, you wrap them or do you just go straight on the carbon? Yeah, I've got, I just ordered some new wraps actually. Some yeah. white ones. Yeah. I like the white. I just switched. They're matte white. Oh yeah. So it's different. So it's not white. like, it's, it's matte like retro white. chic or something or yeah. re- vintage. It's vintage. Yeah. Vintage. Something like that. Yeah, man, you're so cool. Um, okay. And uh, specs wise on your bow, you're pretty, uh, you know, you're pretty standard. I mean, you're you're taller than the average guy, but you just, you haven't got into the 80 pound bows. You just pull a 70 pound bow. Why is that actually? Not that I can't. Yeah, you, and you could. I'm, I'm curious. Just why? I don't know. Just yeah. no reason whatever because you can you know why why do we do it because we can but like i i can pull 70 pretty easy but it's just i don't feel 80 i think i would get used to 80 i've done it before and it's it's quite a bit more work and it's just it's not worth it not you know whatever call me a wimp i don't care no i won't and here like here's the deal It, it doesn't it doesn't really matter as long as you're um, aware of where you're at, uh, and, and relative to what poundage you're pulling, you build the proper arrow in my opinion. Um, but you know, if you can pull, here's what I'll say is if you can, whatever weight you can pull in any situation, in any, mm-hmm. basically in any hunting, um, position meaning you could be sitting you could be kneeling you could have one leg down one leg sticking out sideways you could be you know whatever the case is it could be freezing cold it could be hot it could be you could be shooting uphill downhill whatever whatever the case is as long as you can pull it back and pull it back without straining and like you know doing the whole you know you'd see guys when we worked at shields like do the whole pointing the bow in the air and like trying to get that thing mm-hmm. back and you're just like man, everything they got to pull everything it. they got to pull it like you know then shoot shoot whatever poundage you can get back but yeah to me i just i feel comfortable with 70 it's yeah. it's not too much and i feel like it's plenty enough so well in a, a 29 and a half inch uh draw with a 70 pound bow and you're shooting what 100 grain uh tip 100 grain head you know and that injection at a 330 is not it's not a you know, it's, it's, 
think it's 10.1 grains. Yeah, it's not the lightest grain per inch arrow. So you got a little, you know, you're, you're probably north of 400 grains. I, I want to say I'm like in the 460s. Is that that high? Hmm. I haven't weighed it. Well, See, I'm not, like yeah. said, I haven't. I can tell you down to the grain. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> I I used to be able to tell you, but like I said, honestly, I just been shooting the same setup for yep. years now, and so I just whatever. Yep. I don't well, really, I but, don't really care what the grains are. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's it's different for you because you're a guy that knows. Um, you know enough about archery that you can shoot. You're shooting the same setup because it's a good setup and it works. You know, you're not, yeah. like I said, you're not the guy that just walks into, you know, whatever sportsman's warehouse um, a week before the hunt and grabs any box of arrows. You, you know, you understand a spine and you understand, you yeah. know, <clears throat> all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, like I said, I'm shooting the Axis. Um, another reason that I love the axis is because they offered in a 260 spine, which for a 30 and a half inch draw and an 80 pound bow and the amount of grains that I put up front, it's just about, you know, a 300 spine is almost too weak. Um, and so I like that. Um, typically the axis would run a hit insert. But another reason that I like this axis is I actually run. So I set up this arrow and, and I stole this from Corey. Corey kind of uh, turned me onto this, but um, I actually run a, the RPS deep six steel insert that weighs about 25 grains. Mm-hmm. And it's not because I like deep six because I don't um, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm I would stay away from that if I could. It limits your broadhead selection. Yeah. It's just a pain. Um, the reason that I run the deep si- or the RPS in the deep six is that's what you have to run to get a collared insert instead of a sunken hit insert that yeah. I don't like. Um, and I don't have to run, you know, and I'm also not having to run an outsert or a half in half outsert. And then, but then what I do is I actually sink behind the RPS before I, uh, glue the RPS in, I sink either a 50 or 75 grains of the brass, uh, insert not to be used obviously, but just for the weight. And so the reason I do that, I could obviously bump up my broadhead, um, weight, but I like the lower profile and the lower surface area just for better accuracy of the hundred or 125s at the most. Um, and so it, it still gives me, I'm, I've got, I've actually got two setups and this is a little bit unique and I'm, I'm kind of curious how this is going to work this year um, because I've got a couple of different broadheads and I typically don't do this, but this year we're going to Idaho and Idaho is still so far behind the times that they won't let you shoot a mechanical broadhead yet. We're going to Idaho. I know Corey and I are going to Idaho, but like, uh, like we discussed earlier, it's going to be invited. right around that September. Like, Oh, I don't know. What are you doing? September 8th. Yeah. So you're out. Um, <laughs> we didn't even ask. <laughs> yeah. I literally just yeah, didn't just, know. anything. just found out. <laughs> so what well, you don't know, it doesn't matter. Um, need to know basis. I'll send you a picture of the baby. Um, and so anyway, it's kind of, kind of screwy, but I found, what I like to do is find the broadhead that I want to shoot and kind of build my grains of everything else around that. If I have to, or build my arrow around that. 
And I really, for fixed blade broadhead this year, I really wanted to try the iron wheels. I know they're so expensive and oh my gosh, like who pays that much for broadheads? And this is what I do. Like who cares? <laughs> this is what I do. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't golf anymore. Um, I don't, I don't even fish. When's the last time you saw me fish? I used to love fishing. I don't do any of that anymore. A couple of years. Yep. I sold half my stuff. This is all I do. And so whatever, you know, and, and the other thought I had when I was deciding whether to buy, to try those iron wheels, is like, man, you know, I, I have top of the line, everything basically that I, as far as I'm concerned and as far as what I like, you know, I, I basically spare no expense. If there's something that's better or I need it to perform better, I'll get it. Except with broadheads. You're just like, oh yeah, like, like freaking like you're pissed that you know a pack of six or a pack of three you know costs 39.99 and you're like oh like it's like the only thing that matters whether you're gonna kill you know and when it comes right <laughs> down to it it's like anyway it's not the only thing and i understand there's a lot of other things but i i just i i that's how i justified it and so the the problem was i didn't like the vented iron wheels and so i went with the solid they only make the solid starting in a 125. I like to shoot the hunter grain. I also am a rage in the cage believer. Yep. Hate it up. Hate it up on the rage in the cage. I don't care. Like <laughs> I said, I haven't seen them fail yet. So that's what I shoot. Yep. And so for my, like my Nevada archery deer tag, I'm probably going to have a mechanical on. Um, those shots sometimes are longer. I, I may actually fling one of these iron wheels anyway. So I had to, I had to build, I built three arrows or I'm going to, I'm going to end up with six. So I'm going to have six arrows that are built around a 125. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> there's really, there's really no way to mess this up. Trust me. <laughs> I built six arrows around a 125 oh, for the iron wheel for a solid build. And then I built, I've got six or nine that are built around a hunter grain mechanical because why not because why not the way that i differentiated <laughs> it is a black knock and a white knock so <laughs> the key always remember this write it down for me the white knocks are the hunter grainers the black knock is the 125 so if you're in the rubies and i don't hunt the rubies i mean the jar bridge yeah or white rock mountain over by perump we hunt down by perump yeah, Lake Mead. If you're out hunting uh, donkeys yeah. <laughs> by Lake Mead. That would be a sweet tag. <laughs> yeah. Or a wild Mustang. Oh, man. We can only hope. Um, I didn't say that. At 60 yards. That's about the break-even point. Yeah, that's why I'm asking. Yeah, I know. So if you got a buck out there, 60 yards, which, which one are you shooting? Is it windy or not windy? slight left to right breeze of course <laughs> about five um, miles if there was much of a breeze at all and if it was like left and right i'd be pulling at 60 yards i'd be pulling the mechanical what if it's um, uh at your back uh, if it's at your back then he's already winded you <laughs> yeah let's assume that i'm not stocking in with the wind at my back or <laughs> uh, no Here, no breeze so far in my short time with these iron wheels i pulled one out i've i've had it set up here's what i've seen in relative to my setup 50 yards dead nuts i wasn't getting any sort of planing or anything like that uh, let me back up I've got a pretty, what I would consider a pretty fixed blade conscious setup, meaning 
280 feet per second typically oh let me back up so on these two arrow setups the important thing to realize same grains per same overall grains because what i do is on the the 100 grain setup i leave the 75 grain Mm -hmm. brass insert intact on the 125 for my solids um i break it off and so it's it i weighed them and they're literally i mean it's with they're all you know within a grain or whatever so it's it's the same arrow i just get around it that way anyway what I've seen with my testing so far, short amount of time with these iron wheels, 50 was absolutely dead nuts. 80 was, was there. 80 was there, but that was it. That's after 80. When I, when I stepped out to a hundred and someone like Aaron Snyder, someone like, um, you know, I don't know, John Dudley's all those type of guys, they can probably tell me why this is happening. Maybe it's just what it is. Cause I know some of those guys, you know, uh, I think even Tony Treach, you know, was shooting them at longer distances. Maybe you guys can chime in or send an email or whatever, but at a hundred, those suckers opened up, they opened up like, you know, I was shooting at a, you know, a big four by four and they opened up like it was and my, my fill tips were still right in there. I was putting fill tips, you know, in a pie plate at a hundred and those broadheads at a hundred started opening up. I don't know. I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's planing prop pot, probably improper tuning on my part, but everything else was flying great. 50, 80, it opened up at anything past 80. So in Idaho, it won't be a question in Nevada like probably 40 and under. Cause I just want to see, I just want to <laughs> see what those suckers will do. Oh, those it'll blow like, right through them. Yeah. We're yeah. Put well, that in a shoulder with my right setup too. Like yeah. <laughs> it'll blow Poor. through the whole, you know, it'll blow through three deer behind it. I got to make sure there's nothing in line Poor deer. Um, I was shooting this weekend just to il- illustrate how important, um, it is to be six foot four, so you can pull thirty inch draw with eighty pound bow, with a and get a five hundred and eighty two grain arrow going two hundred and eighty feet a second. Think about that, because most people don't have a four hundred and eighty grain arrow going two hundred and eighty feet a second. I've got a five hundred and eighty grain arrow going two eighty. Um, the momentum is just through the roof. We we're shooting this weekend up at a church uh, outing church group thing. And they had some archery classes and I was there helping. And so in between classes, me and this guy that was doing it, um, we would shoot and we were shooting at the same, you know, one of those kind of big round, cheap round uh, foam targets. And I knew I couldn't shoot it up close, but I thought maybe like back to 70 yards or whatever we were shooting, I could maybe shoot some and it would knock it down enough. Uh, you know, the, the speed would be down. He shoots and he's shooting. He, he claimed he was shooting about a 300 and uh, 300 feet a second with his setup. Very typical 120. I think he had 125 grain tip, but relatively light arrow. And he had, he had a, you know, a short, you know, 26 inch draw or whatever, probably Mm -hmm. 27 inch draw, 28 inch draw, maybe, but short arrow. I mean, the arrow was probably cut to 27 inches. Super. Like I calculated that he probably wasn't, scaring 400 grains he's probably 400 grain arrow and at supposedly 300 feet a second with a 70 pound bow you know at 65 yards he would shoot and he had about a foot of arrows sticking out of those Mm -hmm. foam targets mine were blowing through it at 65 yards it was still sinking an extra 
foot and a half past where he he was i was i was putting him clear the fletchings were still buried into the target and so i had to push him from behind anyway the power of a 30 inch draw with 80 pound bow and i know everyone can't do that here's the key especially like kids and and maybe women or older gentlemen who can't um pull heavier weight you have to understand the principle here of momentum and your first reaction, I've always wanted to bring this up because it's a big pet peeve of mine. Your, I've seen it. I saw it for years when I was working at Shields. Rest in peace, Corey um, <laughs> and Brad. Um, uh. People's first f- average hunter's first instinct or their first natural instinct when they're shooting a lighter pound <clears throat> bow or they're shooting a shorter draw is what? I think a light arrow is going to penetrate better. Lighten that arrow up to to go faster. And the reason that they think that is because they've been shoved kinetic energy down their throat for, for marketing purposes from every angle of the archery industry. Yeah. My problem with the kinetic energy calculation is it squares velocity. Correct me if I'm wrong, someone it squares velocity and basically takes a way a very weighted account of the velocity of an object and gives you a foot pounds of energy the problem with it is it doesn't have any account for an object's ability to push through something which is what momentum does and so in my opinion based on that the lighter your poundage of your bow or the the shorter your draw length or whatever the case is the heavier your arrow should get yeah, and like it sucks. For- it sucks because guess what your pin gap does? It goes way wide. And, you know, if you had a pin housing, you might only get 20, 30, 40 yards or whatever. Yeah. But I've sat and listened to John Dudley say that he won't even let when his boy and his wife were starting out in bow hunting, he wouldn't even let them shoot past like 20 yards, you know, because he just, I think understood that like one they they probably weren't accurate enough or under those circumstances, but mostly probably like they just, they had the arc on that because he probably had him with a little bit heavier setup or whatever. I, I don't know. Maybe not, but uh, I'm just a firm believer in, you know. Yeah. In other words, a sports car going 100 miles an hour through a brick wall isn't going to do nearly as much damage or penetration as a semi, a semi going 50. Going half the speed. Yep. Way with bigger. 10 way times more, more momentum. Just, you know, it's going to do way, yep. way more damage and it's going to penetrate way more. So there's so. my, there's, it took me 41 episodes yeah. to bottle up my rant on kinetic energy versus momentum. And I can already hear it. You know, someone's going to chime in and correct me with, you know, the technicalities of something that I'm talking about. But the, the general principle, I think I've, I think I'm right. Yeah. Well, um, I, I think I kind of feel like I found a happy medium. Yeah. Um, I, well, mine's not my arrow's well, pretty heavy it's not light but it's not yours when i shoot your arrow through my bow it feels like i'm launching a freaking a log, log. Yep. yeah it's so quiet and well, slow and that but, i have an extra inch of draw length and i have 10 more pounds of bow and that yeah. makes a big you know yeah you're you're probably shooting nearly probably just as fast as i am because i'm 10 pounds lighter and an inch yeah and an inch shorter even though my arrow is quite a bit lighter. I want to say per inch short of draw length adds or subtracts up or down an inch is ballpark like eight or 10 feet a second right there. Yeah. 
And so, so even if we were shooting the same exact bow, you would probably be 10 feet per second uh, with the same arrow, same everything. If you were shooting a 29 and a half inch draw, you'd be 10 feet per second are, slower anyway. You were shooting how many feet per second? 280. I want to say I'm like right around like 290. Yeah. Like I'm not, I know I'm not over 300. So. And, and here's, here's the last thing I'll say on this. Um, you know, cause, cause on the flip side, like you were saying, you're probably right in the middle of that. You got our buddy like Mark, you know, and Mark will, he's, he's a speed guy. He is. I mean, he, he I, I don't know, Mark, you know, we could probably text him and find out real quick, but like, you know, he's probably pushing 300 or 310 feet a second with his little yeah. bit lighter, <clears throat> you know, he'll shoot a, like a gold tip kinetic pierce or whatever, a little bit lighter arrow, um, hundred grain head, probably, uh, maybe 400 grains, maybe, you know, he's probably yeah. right around that 400 grains, you know, and, and it works. Well, guess what? Like, you know, Mark's one of the best shots that I've ever seen in ever. You know, yeah, he's, he he's is crazy. He is crazy good. He's dialed. And so, you know, he he has the ability to not slam into the front shoulder, you know, on a on a mule there and especially an elk or whatever. And and so that that makes a difference. Like yeah. it makes a difference. You know, I'm not that good of a shot. I can't say that every single time I'm not going to blow into the shoulder of an elk. And so I just like to have that, you know, yeah, to make up for my lack of shooting. So fun stuff, man. What's your what's your initial impression of this? We're looking at this iron wheel right here. What's your kind of your initial impression when you open this? Looks expensive. Yeah. <laughs> I the, mean, the, it comes in a yeah. freaking the elastic alarm. pelican case. The alarm alone <laughs> cost me two hundred. <laughs> Who can first person first person to comment on the post for this episode on my on the Instagram page? I will send. I will send a free T-shirt to who can reference that. The quote. alarm alone cost the me two hundred. The alarm alone cost me two hundred. Um, if no one knows this, I will. Uh, we're gonna be yeah, mad. Yeah, we're, we're not right. friends because this is mine and Jason's favorite movie. So, yeah, crazy. These things, um, man. Spare. You can tell. Just spared no expense. Um, they spin. You know, they spin great, which is a big anxiety. So thing those for are me. deep six. These are deep six one twenty five solids is what I've got in my hand They're uh, they've got an inch and I believe one sixteenth cutting uh, width, cutting diameter with a three quarter inch uh, bleeder, which I think is pretty crucial if, for the little two blades like this. Yeah. So we're going to see, man, I, I don't, like I said out to, you know, in Idaho, um, geez, you know, on elk, maybe, you know, 60 yards, no problem, man. I feel totally confident in them after shooting them so uh like i said in nevada i i actually hope that i'm in a situation where i feel comfortable to pull them out because i want to see the devastation i want to see i mean it's gonna blow the this setup and those broadheads like i mean it's gonna it'll be through him so fast he won't even know what hit him um so that'll be fun but anyway yeah i don't i don't think that arrow is going to stop regardless of where you hit the deer. <laughs> We've talked about rage. Um, what real quick, just before we wrap up here, what is your, um, the new sever broadhead that is, uh, basically a re, uh, Omer edge. Yep, a rejuvenation of the Omer edge, uh, with some, you know, a little bit fancier, looks like a little bit more technology behind it. It's been updated a little bit. What is your initial impression of that broadhead? Looks pretty cool, but 
I'll probably just keep shooting rage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yep. I don't know. It's I haven't looked into them a ton. I know it's pretty much the same thing as the Ulmer Edge with a couple changes as far as like the blade. Um, I think they went to a, <clears throat> they go to a titanium ferrule. Yeah. I can't remember. It's, it's it, a different, it's either a steel or titanium. Yeah, I think it's titanium it, ferrule. I think the blades lock once they're out or something like yeah, that. Which is the same as the, the Ulmer edges. Um, they locked. That was one cool, <clears throat> cool thing about them. They locked, but then, you know, they can still, they don't lock like solid locked in their angle. They lock and then they can pivot. Yeah. You know, well, they can, they, they can pivot. To, they can hinge. The idea is they. Interesting. Um, you know, so they're bypassing, which is common nowadays. They're bypassing the middleman, quote unquote, and they're not selling them in stores. Um, you know, Pete companies will claim that that's so that they can offer you a better product at a cheaper price. It's really so they make more it's money. It's really so they make more money, in my opinion. They're going to make it as well as they think they can or have to or whatever when it comes right down to it. You know, there, there are certain circumstances, you know, maybe, I don't know. Anyway, um, so you buy them, though, by the 2.1 inch. Yeah, it's titanium, titanium ferrule, 2.1 inch cutting diameter and it looks like you can buy them by the broadhead meaning you could order whatever number you yeah, want. Yeah, I just saw a number is 20 bucks, but 13.99 each each. Yep. I'm with you um until rage lets me down or you know something changes, I don't know. Um I, this actually intrigues me. Um might have to talk to uh Isaac up there and see if we can get some but um, anyway, it's, it's definitely, you know, it's of mechanical broadheads. I'm going to be honest. I'm not a huge fan of the rubber band. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the rubber band. I'm not. So what they do, you'll see if you pull it up online, um, they'll have a rubber band, the blades, you know, lock in and they, they basically slide in and sink into the, the ferrule when they're not, um, you know, when they're not deployed and to hold them in place they have you know some sort of band i, I can't tell if this is actual um r like a rubber I band it, i don't think it's rubber it's, it looks they're like a plastic it an, yeah they're calling it an o-ring and so i i think it's a little bit beefier um and then you know that on in this case it's clear down at the at the almost the very end of the broadhead and then they've you can see when they're deployed there's a tiny little um you know, half moon in the blade so that it doesn't cut those, um, that O-ring when it's, you know, in your quiver or hits against a, a piece of brush or whatever. So I like that it has the little set screw that you can screw in for screws in the center and then you can use it. It locks the blades in so you can use it as a practice. Yep. That's pretty cool. I think that's one of the coolest things about, uh, that whole design, the Ulmer edge slash sever with rage. They send you a practice yeah, head. That's but, what I've got right here. But you know, it'd be nice to hunt, to practice with the literally the same exact. Yeah. Um, it, it's a sweet looking <laughs> mechanical man. 10, you know, definitely 15 years ago. Like when I first started into bow hunting mechanicals, needed some help in my opinion i stayed yeah. away from them for years i stayed away from them because i just 
you know, we, we even tried rage, you know, years ago before your mission even. Yeah. And God, there was nothing but problems with them. They were deploying all the time in your quiver. Remember that? Like you, like you reach for like, like rattling 90% of them. Yeah. They're rattling and like, they're coming apart in your thing. Cause they just bands didn't have were a, all breaking. Yeah. <laughs> bands are coming apart. Um, 10, 15 years later now, I think they're getting close, man. Like there's no such thing in my opinion as a perfect broadhead. Because just they can't, but um, man, this sever is looking sweet. So check it out, see what you guys think. Maybe Let I'll us buy know. one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll just take one. Honestly, I was on there to order them the other day, um, but the they scared me off because the deep six expected ship date on there wasn't until July thirty first. And you know, if I didn't, if I wasn't at the front of the line, especially, which I assume I'm not at this point. Um, I wasn't like, I probably wouldn't even get them by our Nevada hunt, which opens, you know, we leave for that on like August 8th every year. So anyway, you know, maybe later in the year or maybe on that over the counter Arizona uh, deal, I'd like to try those. So it's yeah, a, we'll, that's a sweet looking broadhead. We'll throw some at some deer. Yeah. See what happens. See what happens. Cool, man. Any, uh, what's your last, uh, parting words of wisdom? I'm not going to go through the you know, the typical, uh, fire round or anything. So just good luck and shoot straight, <laughs> find the big old bucks. I, as far as scouting, this has been like the slowest year ever. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but something with being an adult or something, I just, well, I feel like I have time, but I don't have time. Like I feel yeah, family. I feel like so an obligation to not you just, go to the mountains. I think just priorities change, and you got married. That changes things. You have a kid on the way, which isn't here yet, and so it shouldn't be. Um, but you even have, you even have now, an adult job, which for you know, yeah. Anyway, we need to. Here's the deal, though. We've hunted the same hunt in Nevada for what? I not, not in a row, but we've hunted it what half a dozen times yeah. now. Like, I hunted it. I think the first time I hunted it was like 2007. And just being honest, that's the advantage that we have of not, um, you know, not jumping from unit to unit. We don't, I don't have to scout it. You know, I mean, I, it, it would help. It always helps. You know, I would like to go. It's just so far away. Um, you know, to get up to the, uh, the garbage is so, so far down by Lake, down by Lake Mead. to get down by Lake Mead and over to Pahrump is so far, um, that we just don't scout it anymore. And so, but yeah, you know, some of these other tags that we have, uh, you know, but we don't, we don't have a lot of hunts this year that are new, new territory for us. Yeah. So like, uh, let's tell my wife, I'm like, babe. I haven't done anything for scouting this year. I'm like, it's yeah. really starting to bug me. Like, she she should feel. And she's like, you didn't even scout last year, and you killed like a 195 buck. I'm <laughs> you like, did scout a I'm like, bit. well, that was pure luck that yeah. I even found that deer, and I'm not I'm like yeah. killing big deer requires a lot of. Yep. scouting time so it's well, time to the good news is it's only july 14th right now when we're recording this and uh it's just just heating up so i've actually got we, we we've been out we've we've been out on a couple uh couple trips we set a couple of cameras like we've we've been out so i've got an overnight yep. overnight trip planned on uh monday and tuesday in two days so well for the rest of us that work normal uh jobs 
maybe next weekend. Actually, next weekend would be good because I done. I work Wednesday, Thursday. Okay, we'll so see. I have Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we'll, Monday. We'll see you guys on the mountain. So remember that God loves you. Well, actually, hopefully we don't see you on the mountain. Hopefully we then don't. we're hunting the same spots and that kind of gets weird. But nonetheless, God does love you. Even if we do see you on the mountain in our spot. Hopefully we see you on the road. We love you. God loves you. Christ died for your sins and mine. And so never forget that you are loved and you can be forgiven of your sins. And we're going to probably edit this out. No. Every member a missionary. Every member a missionary. We'll <laughs> we'll keep it in there. So it's all good, man. We don't edit stuff out in this podcast. <laughs> well, I kind of said a swear word once. Plus, anyway. let's be honest. <laughs> if someone's listened to this point, they're diehards. You know, we got them. Like, we can say whatever we want right now. They probably keep listening. <laughs> I don't think that's true. Love you guys. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Finding Backcountry podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and mention it to your friends. But the best thing you can do, leave a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. For notes and links to this and other episodes, please visit findingbackcountry.com.